We're continuing our series through Mark's Gospel. We're up to Mark chapter 3. And the heading I've got is, Why should Christians meet on the Sunday and not on the Sabbath? And so today we're looking at the whole issue of the Sabbath. And we'll look at its creation in the book of Genesis. We'll look at it becoming a law in the Ten Commandments. We'll look at the abuse uh, that, the, uh, that the Sabbath had during the time of the prophets. And then why was there such a huge conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees? And then how come Sunday worship superseded Sabbath worship for Christians? So that's the outline of where we're going. So the first thing to look at is what is the purpose? And the Sabbath had two key essential ingredients. Number one is rest. Number two is worship. So we see there in Exodus chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments were given, it says, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord. In it you shall do no work. And so very strongly, if you were a Jewish person, six days you would labour, seventh you would not work. Now, I'm not sure how dairy farmers cope, because you've got to milk your cows every day, so I don't know how that worked for them. And the second part was it was a, a time of worship. So in Isaiah 66, from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me. As I said, rest and worship, two key ingredients. So where did the idea of Sabbath come from? If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, it talks about uh, God making the world in seventh days, or six days of uh, building, and the seventh day says this, On the seventh day God finished. His work had been done. He rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Now it's interesting, uh, Genesis talks about a Sabbath day, but Jewish people didn't start uh, doing a Sabbath day until after Moses had received the Ten Commandments. And so they would have read it, that God rested. There's no thought that they should rest until Moses gave us this in the Ten Commandments. So there in Exodus 20, Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. Six days you should do all your work. The seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord. On it you shall do no work. And so from Moses on, as part of the law, Sabbath keeping was meant to be a weekly event. Now, were the the nation of Israel, were they good and godly at keeping the Sabbath? Did they have right motives? And when we turn to the prophets, we regularly see the prophets will have a very strong condemnation of the Jewish nation and its way of dealing with the Sabbath. So Isaiah chapter 1. Bring no more vain offerings or incense because it's an abomination to me. Your new moon and Sabbath, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. And you say, well, why was God so upset with Israel? Because their heart was not in it. They would do the outward signs of religiosity, but not an inward relationship. Then further into Isaiah, Isaiah 58. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord should be honoured. If you honour it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. So what was happening to the Sabbath? They'd have the day off. They'd just sit there and the booze and gamble and chat and carry on like it was any other day. See, God said very clearly, yes, it's a day where you don't work negative, positive. It's a day of worship. 
They left out the worship part. They just saw it as a great chance to have a day off. It's interesting, uh, Australia is described as the land of the long weekend. We all love long weekends. But if you ask most people, what is the, the purpose behind this long weekend, like uh, October, and you say Labor Day, people have no idea. And so you explain it was eight hours, eight hours work, eight hours rest, eight hours uh, sleep. And uh, they say, I never knew that. You say, well, that's what Labor Day is about. And you say, does anyone in Australia actually celebrate Labor Day? I don't think they do. I don't know if any of the Labor Party or in the unions say, let's do something fantastic on Labor Day. It's just an excuse to have a good day off. And that's the nation of Israel. Sabbath was a good excuse for a day off. When it comes to Ezekiel 20, they did not walk in my statutes and were not careful to obey my rules, by which if a person does them, he should live. They profaned my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my wrath upon them. So the very day that was meant to bring them blessing, God said, this is actually a curse on you. So when we come to the Gospels, we find the Pharisees were very committed to their Sabbath worship. And uh, they had invented a significant amount of extra laws to uh, make sure that you did the right thing on the Sabbath. And sadly, what they do is they glean the Old Testament to try and stretch verses out to support their opinions. So give me an example. There was a certain distance that you could only walk on the Sabbath. That's okay, but what if you want to walk, walk, walk further? Well, the law was you could only go so much past your front door. So how do you get around that? You unhinge your front door, you carry your front door in front of you, and you said, didn't go past my front door, didn't break any laws. And you say, what could be worse? Carrying a door for a kilometre to try and justify yourself. So you can see that they were quick at twisting the laws. They were quick to invent laws and quick to deny laws. Right, it is. So let's go to a... Let's see some of the things that says about Jesus and the Pharisees. So Matthew 12. The Pharisee says, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. In Luke 6. And the scribes and Pharisees watching him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath so they might find a reason to accuse him. They're out to attack him. Then in Luke 13, But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, and he said to the people, There are six days in which to work. Come on those days and be healed on those days. Don't get healed on the Sabbath day. Now there's all these other days, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just be healed on those days. What are you doing here on a Saturday wanting to be healed? So what was the response of this type of reaction in John chapter 5? And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. In verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he even called God his own father, making himself equal with God. And you're kind of thinking, if someone broke a Sabbath law... Would you kill the person? Then in John chapter 9, the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others who are listening said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? You know, here's this guy healing people, and you're whinging about the Sabbath and thinking, Have they twisted the laws? So we then need to come back and say, What did Jesus actually say about his relationship to the Sabbath? Because remember, the Bible tells us very clearly that Jesus never sinned. So when he did these things on the Sabbath, they were not sin because he was not breaking God's law. 
Yes, he was breaking the Pharisees' law, but the Pharisees had reinterpreted things. So Jesus says there in Mark chapter 2, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. There's a very strong sense that they, as Pharisees, were trying to squeeze a spirituality that was never there in Scriptures. Then Matthew 12, If you had known what it means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And if I was a Pharisee, I would be in a rage at this point. How dare you say you're the Lord of the Sabbath? The Sabbath is in God's control, not yours, unless you are the Son of God. Then Luke 6 verse 9. I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? And uh, Jesus gave some illustrations from the Old Testament about if an animal falls down a pit, that you would save it on the Sabbath day quite legitimately. How much more should Jesus heal on the Sabbath? So let's have a look at our text for today. Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Jesus entered the synagogue. A man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he'd heal him on the Sabbath so that they could accuse him. There's no sense of, praise God, this man's going to get healed. It was, how can we attack Jesus? So Jesus looks at the man and says, come. He looks at the crowd and says, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do harm to save life or to kill? And of course they were silent and looked around at them with anger. He was grieved at their hardness of hearts. And he says, man, stretch out your hand. He stretches it out and his hand is restored. The Pharisees went out immediately and held counsel with Herodians against him to destroy him. This is like saying Pauline Hanson and the Greens are amalgamating on policy. <laughs> it just doesn't happen. The Herodians were the militant right-wing pro-Roman empire. The Pharisees are your left-wing anti-Roman, anti-politics. And these two groups said, we hate Jesus so much that we can come together to catch him out. Now, when we come to the book of Acts, it's interesting. There's a number of times Paul would evangelise in Jewish synagogues on the Sabbath. And you say, well, why did he go on the Sabbath? Because if he went on a Thursday, nobody's there. You go on Saturday, it's, a, it's full of people. Like if I was going to evangelise another church, I'd go to that church on a Sunday. And so Paul evangelised. So here, I've just grabbed a couple of quotes about what he did on these Sabbath days. So Acts 13, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord because Paul was preaching. In Acts 17, Paul went in and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. In Acts 18, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and he tried to persuade the Jews and the Gentiles. What was Paul doing? He was witnessing and sharing his Christian faith. He was doing it quite legitimately because he saw that being a Christian was a natural extension of being Jewish. That if you follow the whole Old Testament, that Jesus as Messiah was the next step. Now, I, for some stupid reason, love obscure things. And recently I've been researching the difference between 1st century and 4th century uh, Jewish lectionaries. In other words, what readings would they have in a Jewish synagogue 
on a Saturday service. And it's fascinating. Uh, the first century stuff is only more recent in terms of archaeological discovery. And so it's quite a new thing in terms of archaeology. But most of the readings in the first century had a very strong messianic pull to it. And you can see that when Jesus came and said, I'm the Messiah, people were expecting him to be the Messiah. Not only was he saying he's Messiah, but dozens of other people before and after Jesus had also said they're Messiah. When Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, they didn't have one Messiah in Jerusalem, they had four. And the uh, Jewish people spent as much time fighting each over about who had the right Messiah as they did fighting the Romans. And so they had a very strong messianic expectation that God's chosen person was coming. Hit the 4th century and uh, the Jewish synagogues cut out all those references. And you say, why is that? Because when you read those references, it looks so much like Jesus, they wouldn't even give anyone the thought that it could be Jesus. So uh, I've loved uh, witnessing to numerous Jews. I've seen a number of Jews come to Christ. And one of the things I regularly do with them is I'll sit there and read Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. And most have never seen these before. Why? Because they've been cut out of their synagogue reading program. Anything that's to do with Jesus is cut out. So let's um, look uh, now at the letters. So in the book of Acts, we see Paul evangelises but does not worship on the Sabbath. Now, in the New Testament letters, there's only a couple of references. The first is in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Paul writes there, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you with regard to a festival or a Sabbath. In other words, in church, don't use Sabbath pro or anti as a reason for debate. It's not part of... Uh, what we do. And then uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews is a great book because it's a book you'd give to someone who's Jewish because it says Jesus is greater than Moses. Jesus is greater than the prophets, the temple, the priesthood, the synagogue, everything which is Jewish, Jesus is greater than. Of course, one of the things that they saw as being significant was their Sabbath day. And in chapter 4 of Hebrews, it deals with it. It says there in verse 1, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. In other words, God has a desire for you to find rest. For good news came to us just as to them, as in the people uh, in the time of Moses and beyond. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So for thousands of years they'd heard about the Sabbath, but had never done them any good. In verse 3, for we who have believed enter that rest. As he swore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So there's this conflict that for years they've been doing Sabbath worship, but never discovered true rest, true satisfaction. Then verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter. And Why? Because of disobedience. Then verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So from the time of Moses and the Ten Commandments to the time of Jesus, yes, they had taken days off. They had days without work. But they had never found true rest, true satisfaction. And why is that? Because rest 
in the Bible is not found in a day. But it is found in a person. These are very powerful words from Matthew 11. And they're ones that you would have heard a dozen times. But you need to reflect on it saying this is actually a contrast between Jesus and the Sabbath. So Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me all who labour and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Where is our rest found in Jesus? Not in a day. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and lowly in hearts. And what will you find? You will find rest for your soul. You have a whole day just watching TV and vegging out and not find rest. You can go down the beach and put your uh, suntan lotion on, make sure you don't get cancer, and just lie there in the sun falling asleep. But you won't find the rest that God offers because the rest is not of the body. The rest of Jesus is that of your soul, the very essence of who you are. Now, further on in Hebrews in chapter 10, it looks at the contrast between Jesus and the law. So there in chapter 10, verse 1, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form, of these realities it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. All that the Jews held, the temple, their worship, the Sabbath, the law, the very essence of Judaism was nothing but a shadow. Jesus is the reality. So in verse 12 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Why is he sitting? Because it's finished. He's resting. It's accomplished. It has been done. There's nothing else to be done. Where's our true rest found? Sitting beside Jesus. So the question we need to ask ourselves, if Sabbath worship had been so significant, it was actually one of the Ten Commandments in the Old Testament, why do we as Christians not do Saturday worship today? Now, it's basically a, a core value. The Sabbath was to do with law. Sunday worship is to do with grace. So I've had some lovely uh, pro-Sabbath worshipping people say to me, well, where in the Bible does it tell us it's a law to go to church on Sunday? He says, well, actually, I don't go to church because it's a law. I go to church out of love of Jesus to be with his people because God wants us to be in fellowship with each other. It's me desiring to do things his way, not because it's a law, but because it's done by love. He was chosen to be Sunday because this is the day that Jesus was resurrected. All the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection were on a Sunday. Pentecost, the starting of the church, on a Sunday. Uh, we find in uh, Revelation chapter 1, John receives his vision for the book of uh, Revelation on the Lord's Day, or which is also called a Sunday. So was a, in the early church, were there people who'd still worshipped on Saturday? Now, it's a, a, a guy called Eusebius, who's an early church father, about 300 AD. He writes that earlier on there'd been a cult group or a sect called the Ebionites. 
who only worshipped on the Saturday. Now, they were a cult of Judaizers. In other words, they maintained Jewish law. They rejected the Apostle Paul and his teaching. They denied Jesus and his virgin birth. And they denied his deity. And so you can't say, if you don't believe Jesus is the Son of God, you don't believe all these things, are you really a Christian? No. So what did the early church say about meeting on Sundays? The earliest writing we probably have is something called the Didache. It's about 90 AD. And this is what it says. But every Lord's Day, do you gather yourselves together and break bread? In other words, the Lord's Supper and give thanksgiving. Then in Barnabas, another writer about 100 AD, we keep the eighth day. So it's interesting. They said God made the world in seventh days. And we are part of a new experience, the eighth day. In other words, everything is fresh again and new. That from this Sunday on, it's different from the first Sunday. Because this is the Sunday that we now worship Jesus. And so for the early church, the idea of using the eighth day was as imagery. We keep the eighth day, Sunday, with joyfulness. The day also on which Jesus rose again from the dead. So they might say, well, why do people who believe Sabbath worship now? When did this come about? In 1527, two Anabaptist leaders who were like a, a fringe group in the Reformation movement, uh, a man called Andreas Fischer and Oswald Greet, uh, decided that we should all go to church on Saturday, not Sunday. So that's 1517. So for 1500 years, all Christians had worshipped on Sunday, except for this cult group, the Ebionites. Suddenly, this new movement came through. So what we've got to be careful of is there are some Christians, and sadly some Presbyterians, who would call Sunday the Sabbath, or the Christian Sabbath. And then you say, right, are there scriptures that back that up? And you say, actually, there isn't. They're stretching Bible truths, they're using a more philosophy, a Bible philosophy to get to where they are, but not from scripture. Because we're not having a Sabbath today. We're having a resurrection day. Today is a celebration. I've always thought what we should do is have balloons all around the church and each week we should have a cake just because uh, it's a, that's a party. Because our meeting together is to celebrate that Christ has risen. So what do we say as a church? Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. This is the intimacy and the expectation we have. So why is Sunday so important? Most of all, it's the day that Jesus came back to life again. Where else does Sunday occur? Before Jesus was crucified, he enters into Jerusalem. When? Palm Sunday. It's one of the rare Jewish festivals. Jesus appears six times after his resurrection, and each time he appears on a Sunday. The very first time that Jesus is worshipped post-resurrection is when Thomas falls on his knees and says, Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God, on a Sunday. Now, Christians are recorded three times between his resurrection and ascension of meeting together, each time on a Sunday, never on a Sabbath. Now, these were not worship services, but they were the starting point of Sunday worship gathering. Now, the only time we have Christians being recorded and meeting together in the book of Acts is found in Acts chapter 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, on the Sunday, when we gathered together to break bread. So breaking bread was a symbolism of them meeting for church. Now, Christians are planted every Sunday 
to also set money aside to put in the plate. So in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 2, 16 verse 2, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up in terms of offertory. When do you do it? On a Sunday. Why? Because you meet together. So what about the church? When did the church start? Pentecost. What day was Pentecost? Sunday. The Pentecost. The Holy Spirit first fell upon the apostles. When? Sunday. When was the first uh, salvation sermon preached by the apostles? Apostle Peter? Sunday, day of Pentecost. So since then, churches have been uh, meeting Sunday by Sunday by Sunday. And it's interesting, groups who are very pro-Sabbath regularly become very much pro-law, that you prove your faith by what you do. Where the Bible teaches very, very clearly, we prove our faith by what Jesus has done, not by what we do. Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, help us to always seek you and worship you. Father, when we meet together, may it be out of love and passion for brothers and sisters in Christ that we meet together. Father, may our joy be found in hearing your word preached and a desire to pray effectively for each other as we worship you in the song. Father, build us up as a church that we may always glorify your holy name.